this climb was unrelenting and we're seven miles in to this ride and all, you know, the thoughts, the background noise is like, did you not train enough? Like, you had an ultra marathon in your legs last year. Did that give you the strength that you don't have? Are you going to be able to do this? I don't want to do this. I'm so hot. I'm so thirsty. Where's the goddamn plantation where we're going to stop and have coffee? They said this was a short ride. All of these things are going on in the back of my mind. And I'm just one, two, one, two, one pedal stroke, two pedal strokes, one pedal stroke, two pedal strokes. And that really is the work. When that voice of the small self, which is insecure and scared and rattled, can you just one, two, one, two, can you keep staying the course? I feel coming on retreat and choosing to be as vulnerable as possible with a bunch of strangers is a fast track to like immediate growth. It puts you on the highway, super highway. So one, sign up for the retreat. Two, be vulnerable. And three, open up yourself to a bunch of strangers and learn and grow from perspective. Of course, from the three retreat leaders. Go to everything that you can. Soak it all up. Stay flexible. And leave the retreat with a toolbox of tools to help you navigate life when you go back into the real world when you leave retreat life because retreat life is so good it is so good you could i could stay in retreat life for a very very long time welcome back to the yogi triathlete podcast I'm Jess, I'm here with BJ, and we are still in Costa Rica. It is Sunday, May something, I think it's the 21st of May, and uh, we're actually heading back to the States today. We are back at the Pura Vida Hotel in Alajuela. Um, there is a reason why my voice is so raspy, <laughs> and we'll we'll get to that. Um, I can't believe it hasn't recovered yet, but... Um, yeah, welcome to the show, Beach. How does it feel to still be in Costa Rica? <laughs> We've been here for so long, so long. But it, I have no, shouldn't say I don't have any desire to be home, but, you know, I want to go home and see Clark. Uh, of course, I'm a human. But to be down here and immersed this long, over two weeks, what a phenomenal uh, experience it's been and immersion it's been, like, Really, and I know we'll get to takeaways and what our experiences have been like, but it's kind of—it's just funny that we're still here. Like we've seen people, we were here before people got here. We experienced two big, powerful um, challenges: a little challenge and then the retreat, and saw people come and go. And then we arrived back where we started, and we're still here, and everybody else is back home. Everyone. So we're the, we're the last uh, last yogi standing. And we were just talking at breakfast about how, you know, today is departure day and you can really get ahead of yourself and, you know, think about like, 
uh, I got to get the, you know, the final things into the suitcase and we got to get the, you know, the liquids into one bag and we need to go through customs and, oh, it's so long before we get to Dallas tonight. And then we have three hours and then we have to, you know, drive home from the airport to see Clark and you can so get ahead of yourself. But wouldn't, wouldn't that just, wouldn't that just go against the grain of what we've been living and teaching for the past eight days uh, in Nosara at the Awake Minds Yoga and Meditation Retreat. You know, it, it's, it is a tendency of the mind to go into the future or rehash the past. It's a tendency of the lower mind, the ego, and the higher mind, our true intelligent self, is the one that can just stay here right now in the volcano suite at the Pure Vida Hotel on the bed recording this podcast, which is going to yield the best conversation that we can have. And, and even before we hit record, I just, I wasn't getting clarity of, you know, how this podcast is going to go or, you know, what my takeaways are. And there's a part of me that wants all that to be so perfect and polished. And so my answer to all that was, well, let's just hit record and start talking because the lack of clarity to me sometimes is like, that means just move forward from that present moment and trust Trust the process, stay the course, which was one of the things that we talked about um, at the retreat. Yeah, one of the the tenets that we practiced at the retreat was non-stealing. So we're almost stealing the experience that we're going to have over the next, I don't know, 14, 16 hours if we keep looking forward. <clears throat> to getting back to Clark and getting back into life or even looking back, like really just relishing in what we experienced at the cycling challenge and then at the retreat. So the takeaways from these experiences and implementing them into daily life is that connection point. So we heard a lot of people saying, hey, I'm on vacation at the retreat, right? I'm on vacation. Well, yeah, it may be your vacation time, but you're on retreat. So retreat is an opportunity to take in all the information that resonates and put it into practice. So reading the yamas and niyamas, non-stealing. So as we venture into this experience home today, how can, I'll speak for myself, how can I just be in each moment, not trying to hurry along? And there's so many challenges in that, like standing in line waiting to go through customs. I just wish the line was shorter. I just can't wait to get to the other side of it. And then I'll have some relief. But then it opens up the next connecting flight. And then where we're going to sit and who we're going to sit next to. And how long is this flight? And it's four hours. Well, we're only two hours in. So there's this constant mind desire to just be over with it. Be done and over. And then once we get home, it falls right back into that again. I just want to get to tomorrow because in tomorrow I'll be well rested. And we cycle through this over and over again. So my point is we have an opportunity ahead of us in about two hours when we head off to the airport to just practice non-stealing of the moments that are laid out for us to, to grow. 
So the theme of our retreat was teaching the yamas and the niyamas, which are the first two limbs of yoga, which is the supreme science of the mind. It's an eight-limbed science of the mind, which is often lost in the Western world because we have condensed it into the gymnastics that happen on the mat. But in fact, the asana practice, which is another limb of the eight limbs, the asana being that physical practice, the one we are most familiar with, I think, uh, on a grand scale, most familiar with it, you know, warrior one, child's pose, shavasana, that is a limb of yoga to practice the science of the mind. So the yamas and the niyamas are these 10 tenets or guidelines for living a powerful and beautiful life. They put you in line with your true nature and your true nature is in flow with universal law. And universal law also, to, to drop it into the, the phys- our physical existence, universal law is also in line with what modern science is discovering. So we could even look at the scientific laws of material science and what you'll see in there, like attracts like, uh, everything is energy, all of those things align or reinforce universal law. So the Yamas and the Niyamas, the book we studied was written by Deborah Adele. And she she likens these tenants to a GPS system, that they are a navigation system that allows us to live in the direction of what we all truly desire, which is a happy healthy lifestyle. And so in its essence, these tenants allow us to live in that way and they give us guidelines or instructions to take into our everyday so that we may live with less effort and carrying less weight on our shoulders and certainly being free of reactive responsibility like responses to the world that enhance stress, which lowers our health, mental and physical health. So Yamas and the Niyamas by Deborah Adele is a really wonderful book if you're curious about living in line with your true nature. It's very logical the way she describes it. I mean, she talks about like the Kung Fu series. She talks, she tells stories that are really relatable and and, and easy to digest. So that, I think that's a wonderful, I mean, I could say it's like a starter book, but you know, I've been practicing yoga for 30 years now and I'm still reading and taking things away from that book. So it's for the beginner's mind, whether you're a true beginner in, in, the sense of you're just stepping onto this path, or you've been on this path for 30 years, and what you develop on this path over 30 years is a sustained beginner's mind, where you're always open to learning, and you are aware of the hard lines that keep you limited and small. Um, so this is a, this is a wonderful book, but all that talk about present moment and the rehashing of the past and the jumping into the future, let's go back. We, by the time you guys get this drop, you will have had one of the 
Pura Vida Cycling Challenge podcast, which actually drops tomorrow. Then this is going to drop. And then you're going to have a really, I think, is a really special podcast where we bring in the local community um, here in Alajuela, the cycling community, the Ticos and the Ticas that we are out there riding with. Dan Casey, co-founder of Pura Vida Cycling Challenge, acts as my co-host and translator, while BJ and Jennifer Volman, the other co-founder of Pura Vida Cycling Challenge, are doing like the video and getting B-roll. I mean, it's just, it's such a team event. John, our producer, um, is putting together the video portion of that podcast. And so you guys will be getting that drop, I think, the following week after you get this. And oh, wow. So there's so much that's already been said about the cycling challenge. And, um, but I think that we'd be remiss if you and I didn't share, you know, our takeaways or favorite moments, because those are things that perhaps we didn't include in those podcasts because we wanted to shine the light on our guests. Sure. I'll start. Yeah. Yeah, that favorite. sounds good. <laughs> favorite. Some favorite moments, and they just flooded in. You know, first first off, arriving Thursday, and then, right, it was Thursday? And then Thursday night, um... Biscocho and Ellie were here dropping off a bike for me to use while I'm down here. And it was eight o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. And he had been working all day at a new job where it requires a lot of attention and, and, um, and, uh, responsibility. And he was still there to, uh, put my paddles on, put my seat on that I, that I'd taken with me and adjusting the bike so it would fit well. And doing that at the end of a long day with without any distaste or frustration or it was all joy. It, super excited to see us. We we had laughs in that 15, 20 minutes they were here. <laughs> we were laughing, having so much fun. And um, that just set the tone for just an, an experience that so appreciative of, of what they provide for us down here. And we talk so much about being immersed into the community and the, and the riders, Ticos and Ticas, but they're getting, a, they're getting some joy and happiness from this as well. And I think that they really like to connect with us as well, especially returning guests. Um, that's another thing was just reconnecting with, with certain riders and, and making friendships with new riders and uh, hand gesturing most of the days <laughs> to break that language barrier. We're all talking about the same thing. That was super, that was super impactful. I think the other thing was um, having Jennifer <laughs> bring that to my awareness. I think after the first night about, um, why don't you just ride like you're riding with me? Maybe, maybe just ride a little bit harder because what you showed, you know, a little bit today you probably should be, you know, further along up in the, up in the riding. And I just took that to heart. So thank you, Jennifer. Um, with Jess as the backup, always, um, supporting me to push my limits. So that simply changed the next four days for me with a focus of when we get to that major climb, I'm going to, you know, give it a good effort. And not again, back to what we just talked about, not getting too far ahead of, 
what happens if I get to the top and I'm gassed and we still have, you know, 30 miles to get back home? Not thinking about that, just being immersed in the moment. And so I had that one epic climb on Sunday, the long climb, which I really wanted to do well at. And Lewis was with me and jockeying back and forth between some Ticos and then surging past them and then them coming past me and then Lewis talking some smack talk to get them motivated, uh, all in all in fun. Um, and then all meet at the top. That was probably one of the highlights of any day for me. That's the second day? The second day. The 10,000 feet of climbing, 85 miles. Yeah. That's a big That's day. That's a big day. Big day. Uh, it was awesome. So much fun. Too much cola, for sure. By the end, I was done with the cola in my water bottle. Um, yeah, those two, those two really came to, came to light. How about you? I think the two takeaways that are, that just came in is the first one is what I have already said on this podcast, trust the process and stay the course. So we arrived on Thursday night and Friday, you and I went for a shakeout ride, which a shakeout ride for the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge is riding up a volcano. And I felt horrible. I felt, let me just give some labels to it. I felt weak. I felt gassed. I felt slow. I was hot, so hot. This climb was unrelenting and we're seven miles in to this ride and all, you know, the thoughts, the background noise is like, did you not train enough? Like you had an ultra marathon in your legs last year. Did that give you the strength that you don't have? Are you going to be able to do this? I don't want to do this. I'm so hot. I'm so thirsty. Where's the goddamn plantation where we're going to stop and have coffee? They said this was a short ride. All of these things are going on in the back of my mind. And I'm just one, two, one, two, one pedal stroke, two pedal strokes, one pedal stroke, two pedal strokes. And that really is the work. When that voice of the small self, which is insecure and scared and rattled, can you just one, two, one, two, can you keep staying the course? And then there's the other voice that's saying, yeah, this is just your baptism back into Costa Rican riding. You forgot what Costa Rican riding's like, like 7% is flat. And, um, and it, and it was that part of me that's like, just stay with it, Jess. You've, you've got this, like you're safe, you're fine. And so, um, the first day I felt terrible, which wasn't even the first day. It was the day before the thing even started. And then the first day of the challenge, which was Saturday, the 6th of May, I felt terrible. <laughs> I felt terrible. And Douglas and Abel, two of the Tico riders, key riders in this group, stayed with me. And they stayed with me up Las Antenas, which is the climb, which is typically a little bit cooler, but not on this day. 
It was hot. It was like an unprecedented sunny day where you're in the rainforest and there's no rain and there was no shade and I felt terrible and I felt slow and I felt incredibly supported and loved by these two men that could have already summited the mountain three times with the pace that I was going and I was just patient and they would put their hand on my back and they would push me up different sections and I allowed it and I loved it and we were connected and Douglas was like, he literally had time to go pick flowers and they were like sticking them in my back pocket of my cycling jersey and in my my ponytail and um, they rode with me and I had moments where I felt great and I had 80% of the moments I felt gassed and I just stayed the course. Day one, stay the course. You're still getting your legs. Stay the course. Then day two came and I felt terrible. <laughs> I felt slow and heavy and gassed. And it was one of my favorite climbs, which is Los Indios. And that's the long day, the Aguacate climb, the 10,000 feet. And uh, I wanted to go further than I did last year. And even though I, I did feel bad at the beginning, I started to feel good. And I decided to pull myself out at the lunch stop after about 50 miles. And so I just continued to trust the process. I let my yes be yes. I didn't beat myself up for pulling myself out. I knew it was the right decision for me. And I threw myself into support. And I had an absolute blast for the rest of the day. And then here comes day three. And day three is the second takeaway, which is don't ever count yourself out. I felt amazing. And I left the hotel and we, granted we were going our, well, I'm not going to give any excuses. I'm not going to say, oh, well, everybody was extra slow because I don't think they were extra slow. We always roll out easy. But for whatever reason, I had my legs easy, felt easy, and I was up in the front group. And so I stayed with the front group. And I'm like, I'm still with the front group. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I'm still with the front group. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I feel amazing. I feel like this feels like nothing. And then we got to the climb and I'm still with the front group. And then the front group, which you're a part of BJ, you guys start to pull away. Then I'm like, I'm in the chase. Like I am the chase pack. And Jennifer said, we're the chase pack right now. I'm like, I am the chase pack. And I stayed there and I let the chase pack and finished that day up El Cacao, which is a, a, a climb you do towards the end of the ride. I think you do it about three times. You climb it one time. I think on the first day you actually descend it. And I had Dan next to me who was like, coaching me in my ear and he was like, okay, you're going to go around this corner and then you're going to punch it. And I was like, I feel so good. And I punched it. And, um, Johan, who, you know, is the director of Swede Man, the winner of the Himalayan X try said that he had to like get up to like 500 Watts, um, just so he didn't get dropped. And I was like, it was amazing. And I felt so good. And so that's my other takeaway is like, never count yourself out but you have to commit to the first takeaway, which is trust the process and stay the course. Yeah, you, you need to put. You need to show up. You need it, the easy thing, and this is what, what I see a lot with athletes too. 
the, the mind wants to just dismiss it and to, to just not have to think about it. So it will say, I'm not going to go ride today. So now it can shelf it and then it can focus on whatever it is it wants to stew over in that moment. But the rewiring comes in, well, it doesn't matter the proof that I'm seeing, you know, you for you, lack of sleep, unable to sleep, the heat and humidity down here, which just mentioned, um, they haven't gotten rain, so it's been exceptionally hot and humid here, and even the Tico said that. Um, and then not feeling like you're, you've done enough training, so all these things are flooding in, but you still gave yourself a shot by going out there and riding. And so what if you had to pull out at 50 miles? That doesn't... This is experiencing the experience without uh, attachment to outcome. Just so you can show up on Monday. Not that you knew you were going to show up on Monday like that, but you did have the opportunity to be your best on Monday. And, and you Tuesday and, and of course, Wednesday, well, Wednesday you took off. But you gave yourself the opportunity to just be there for the ride and see what what would happen. And I think... That's the gold in these experiences. It really is. Um, give yourself a shot. Give just give. No matter what evidence you see, continue to give yourself the opportunity to show up. And that's what you did, and, and yeah, I was h- hanging on f- up that elk cacao uh, stretch as well. I was like, oh shit, um, gotta gotta push in that effort here, and it's close to the end. So of course we've got miles under the legs. But it's fun to do that. It's fun to to do that push. Yeah, and and not and being so in the moment. Like that was the ride of my life. That ride was the at, at that point in my life, that was the ride of my life. And then the next day became the ride of my life. And so on Monday, you know, I I didn't I didn't even think, not even one I don't even think once did I think like, oh my God, I'm gonna gas myself for tomorrow. I was just so like, oh my God, I'm having the ride of my life. And then I decided that that night when we were talking about the next day, which is the queen stage, Sacramento Barva, which is probably the one that people, even more so than the big day, like where they, you know, if they're nervous about something, because that's where we have the sustained, you know, 25 to 30% pitches. I just decided that night, like, I'm going to feel tomorrow like I felt today. And that I climbed so strong up that. So yeah, never count, count yourself out. Um, I've got one more thing I want to uh, wrap up about this experience, but I just wanted to see, is there anything else you have before we move on to the yoga retreat? Any final words? It was a totally different experience than I had the first time. So when Jennifer talks about being surprised that people are coming back, I can see why people come back. It's a completely different, it's the same road, same routes. A lot of the same riders. But you can have a different experience each time and each day and each pedal stroke, each climb, each descent. How you, uh, uh, how you show up to those is completely in your control, your attitude. Um, Deb, who was here, had an amazing attitude, a curiosity. We all, they all had a- amazing attitudes, not to say anybody was, you know, fresh. Um, Specifically, Deb was just, and she shared in the podcast how she had doubts and fears, but she kept showing up each day to see if it was possible. And that's, I just love that curiosity and and world of possibility. So who knows, maybe we'll be back 
we'll be back for another round. Um, but from this experience and from the yoga retreat, not to get too far ahead, you got to have this, you meant touched upon it, trust. This trust that you are capable of doing anything. The form it takes, when it happens, and how it happens, completely out of our control. So the work is in getting yourself to that start line or beginning and just meet it and greet it with a curiosity of what's possible versus anything that wants to judge or keep you in lack or keep you fearful or keep you in doubt that it can be achieved. And I think that includes also like procuring the funds to attend something like this. You know, anything is possible. It's, it's everything in our life is nothing more than the result of past action. And when we train the mind to focus on what we want and not on what we don't want, none of us want lack. None of us want financial stress. You know, none of us want to live in survival mode, but it's just, that's what we've practiced. It's conditioning in our world and and those who are training their mind and living in this way, uh, present company included, you're really living against the grain because it requires you to be courageous, not to jump on the bus when someone's telling a story about how scared they were, about how unsafe something was. And you've got a story right there from your past about how unsafe you were at one point. And the moment you jump on and you start sharing that story, you expand fear in your life. You expand future realities that will be scary and dangerous. And to self-regulate enough to hold space for someone who may be scared or fearful or living in lack and not trying to change them, but turning all of your focus inward to not jump on that bus. This is not how the masses live, you know, and it is living against the grain. And, and it's, it's tough because there's a part of us that says, well, our wounds and our traumas are what make us special. And that's not true because you are so special and loved just simply because you exist. You are perfect. And it's so much in a day to bring you down and to pull the mind down and and that staying the course is what's going to allow you to continue to rise above to create the reality that you desire in this life. I just want to speak to one thing, which I think is something that really came very clear to me during this cycling challenge. I agree with you, BJ. It's different the second time. So the first time I created instant friendships, and then the second time those friendships deepened, and then there were other friendships that were maybe in the infant stage and those deepened on this, like spending so much time with Douglas this year, Umberto, who, you know, makes me cry on the podcast, which is about to, you know, launch for you guys to, to learn more about them as not just Ticos and Ticas in the cycling community in Costa Rica, but as brothers and sisters and a part of my global family. It's almost like you can't not come back. It's one of the most special things in the world. But something I want to touch upon, I'm getting to it, guys. Thank you for your patience, is that Johan was here from Sweden. 
And like I mentioned, he's the winner of the Himalayan X try. He uh, has done Norseman. He, um, Jennifer met him at Starvation Try last uh, August in Utah. He is the race director for Swedeman. He just won his age group at Ironman Texas with a 902. So my question is, when on paper is Johan and Jess ever together riding every day? There is no scenario where Johan and I get to spend five days together riding bikes, laughing, talking about the day, talking about how hard it is. It just doesn't exist except for here. And so there is a pace for everyone here. And if you cultivate that mindset of never counting yourself out, you may just be pulling Johan up a climb at the end of the day like I did. (laughs) And I just, that blew me away because we had heard about this guy that was coming and, you know, I was calling him the Himalayan master. And, um, you know, this guy's legit and strong and awesome and funny and probably more similar to me than different. And I just couldn't put him and I in the same room for five days anywhere else in the world except for this cycling challenge. And I think that is something that is incredibly special because in the rest of the world, him and I are miles apart. This goes, and I know we want to move this along, but that goes back, it goes back to having an experience, carefully choosing who you ask for, advice and opinions and experiences as you were as you were talking about before about someone sharing a, a traumatic experience on the bus about what was happening and then not not offering up your experience to add to the fire of what could happen instead having an experience like on paper and having a conversation about Johan being what he is would intimidate anyone and say I'm not going to come to this challenge at all but the point here is that's just information and we're seeing it through the filter of our own mind. If we are awake enough and aware enough to notice that that's just information and we don't have to put our emotion on it, our emotions on it, we can treat it as, oh, it's a great opportunity to learn from someone who has so much experience and to ride and pick their brain and ride as many miles as I can and then go into the truck and follow along and be a participant in, in that realm. So as you hear us talk about the challenge and, and wrapping up the challenge, and you feel like you would have a fun experience and an enjoyable experience here, and it's something that you feel a tug towards, yet the mind stuff interjects and says, I can't afford it. Uh, I'll never be able to afford it. I'll, I can't get fit enough. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I can't train on hills, which these ladies did on the trainer, and they still were able to accomplish it. If, if, you're, if, you, if that awareness is not something you practice every day, you're going to continually, uh, you're going to build this momentum into the stories that you're telling yourself, and it's going to be tough to undo that story. So have an awareness and have a, an openness and be very careful about who you ask in anything, not just this, not just the Pura Vida cycling challenge. How about water temperature at races or uh, how to fly with your bike for the first time going to a race? Like 
have an experience and then you be the judge of how whatever it is affects you. Yeah, really powerful stuff. There's so much learning from this time down, this uh, two weeks down here in Costa Rica. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's continuing. As we mentioned in the start, it'll continue when we get to our next leg, which is the airport to go home. Yeah. And you know what else is going to be when we get home? What else is going to be there? Bundle of joy and love. Yeah, Clark. But also like our debt and, you know, rent, which is going up $200 next month and all the other challenges, you know? And so living now is so important. And, you know, instead of focusing on what we can't have, we could put our focus on what is it that we can do in this moment? And that even could be shifting a thought um, in the direction of what we desire. That matters. That matters. Oh my gosh. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. We live in the world of cause and effect. Everything up until this moment is the result of past action. So knowing that, which is so often forgotten in a day, knowing that knowing that every action you take, and thoughts are action, by the way, they are things, that every single one is going to have a result. If you just had that in the forefront of your mind, I mean, I know, I'll speak for myself, it really cleaned up my act. So. So, onto the retreat. Onto the retreat. All right. Vacation. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's something else to speak to is that these retreats have something for everyone because for some folks it was a vacation. For some folks it was like, I am here to get through this thing that has been keeping me in misery and I don't want to live in misery anymore. So it's as deep as you want to go and it's all relative. What is deep to you? You know, deep to you might just be like, I don't, even practice yoga. And so I'm going to just go to the morning practices. And maybe you go to three of them, but that's a deeper practice than you've ever had in your life. So there's something for everyone there. And, you know, we had people that were going out to lunch and going out to dinner and going into town and going surfing. And you can have as much activity as you want. And then there were some people that never left the gates of Blue Spirit. So there's something for everyone. And You know, we honor that. Valerie, Megan, and I, we will meet you where you're at because that's unconditional love. And it's not an act and it's no effort. You know, every single one of those people that pulled the trigger and put down their deposit and, you know, made their payment and made their way down there, they all trusted the process to some degree. And it's relative to them based on their past, based on the lens that they see the world through and experience life through. But every single one of us, whether you've been practicing yoga for 30 years or the first time you unrolled the mat was, you know, in Sky Mind Hall last week, we are more similar than different. And that the depth of our life and the practice and where we're willing to go in a moment is relevant to us. And it matters. Every single person matters equally. Yeah. Each experience or each challenge that the retreat participants went through, it didn't matter what level of of challenge it was, the intensity of the challenge. It didn't matter. Everybody was working through some sort of challenge. So I feel 
coming on retreat and choosing to be as vulnerable as possible with a bunch of strangers is a fast track to like immediate growth. It puts you on the highway, super highway. So one, sign up for the retreat. Two, be vulnerable. And three, open up yourself to a bunch of strangers and learn and grow from perspective. Of course, from the three retreat leaders. Go to everything that you can. Soak it all up. Stay flexible. And leave the retreat with a toolbox of tools to help you navigate life when you go back into the real world when you leave retreat life because retreat life is so good it is so good you could i could stay in retreat life for a very very long time why why is it so good routine you i think like it's routine. routine yeah new I, routine yeah i think the routine really supports it's funny, like you think like vacation, like, oh, I'm going to step out of my routine, but we actually do have a pretty good routine on retreat life, but it's a routine that really supports your body and your mind and your spirit. I mean, it like literally supports your digestion, you know, everything like we're just, everything becomes um, timely and regular. Um, so yeah, tell us about like, what did a day look like for you on retreat? And and how did it feel? How did each part of the day feel? So don't forget that part in your description. Well, going in, you feel like it's retreat life and you, you immediately look at the schedule and it says 6.30 yoga. So you're like, well, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep in like six o'clock, sleep in, just roll up with a cup of coffee because the coffee starts at six and get into the yoga studio. But I found I, you can't let the morning go. The morning's down there. They're just too, you're in the middle of a jungle. And I want to feel all those noises around you that you can't see. Like you hear a howler monkey and you look up. There, you can't see it. And then you look left because there's another one over there. And then behind you, there's another howler monkey. And then something rustles in the bushes next to you. You're not going to see anything, but you're going to hear it. And I love that walk down our steps from the Pacific Cottage to Pacifico Cottage to the beach where I did a few runs, uh, some with Melissa from the team who was also down there at low tide or walking the beach as the sun was rising in the heat and humidity and watching the hermit crabs shuffle along or taking in the the colorful boats that were up on shore uh, for the fishermen. Um, And just taking 30 minutes to be on the beach for a workout and then going back to our place, going up to Scott, uh, going up to the, the main area there where the kitchen or where the, you know, we ate uh, most often and looking out at the coastline that you had just run and do a 10 or 15 minute meditation, sip some coffee head up to Skymine Hall, do an hour practice, hour 15 practice, and then meditation, and then plan for the day or what we were focusing on. Go to breakfast. Breakfast. We'll talk about breakfast. Uh, Most often in silence, which I love silent breakfast. So we had the option to start our days in silence and carry that through to 9 o'clock. And so when I did that run the first day, Monday, I had put in the group 
here's the workout, which I never normally do for, for anyone. It's like, just show up and I'll tell you the workout. But because I want to be in silence, I put it in the WhatsApp group and we could carry through the workout in silence. And that was fun. And so after silent breakfast at nine o'clock, you break the silence and then you just feel the buzz happen. Everybody's, you know, sharing their experience and you have a few hours to do some things, whatever, uh, chill, go by the pool, the endless pool. So beautiful. Was it an endless pool? Infinity pool. Infinity pool. And then lunch. So this is the regiment. Like breakfast is at 7.30 to 9. Lunch is at 12 to 1.30. And dinner's from uh, 6 to 7.30. So very regimented. And the food is amazing. So you had lunch. And then I would normally take a nap, a little siesta, do some work, grab a nice coffee from the cafe, iced Americano. The guy always wanted to put something else in it, but I was like, straight up. He's like, oh, straight up. So I became the guy who had his, had his iced coffee straight up. Um, then you have the little afternoon. Then we would start our practice at 4.30 and do some meditation and then go into another strong practice. So really we we're practicing for 90 minutes two times a day. So three hours a day of yoga and meditation in some form. And then dinner. And then sometimes optional meditation time to kind of wrap up your day after dinner. So around 7.45, which most often became yoga nidra, where we just really were able to lay down. You carried us through a yoga nidra that, you know, I don't know if I was asleep or dreaming or floating, (laughs) wherever I was. And then you... You go from that in silence right into bed, so early to bed. For most of us, the option to do, like as just said, anything you wanted. But that was a typical day. And it felt, I felt the urges to do more. I felt the urges, you know, to run more, to do more hill repeats, the urges to get more food. And all of these urges were what we were studying with the yamas and niyamas, was to lengthen the space of those tendencies of the mind between stimulus and response and be aware and pay attention and begin to choose another way, which is really our true nature, I believe. Uh, We, or I'll speak for myself, I did a lot, didn't do a lot that I would normally do in my everyday life back at home. And if you look at it, if you take a few steps back and look at it, you're fine. You're okay. I did, I did away with a lot of things that I don't normally do, like training, uh, eating chips, snacking a lot, you know, things that shifted to limited training, more so yoga, uh, no snacking, and regimented three meals a day. And that's all I had. Um, the other piece was, you know, walking, walking hundreds of steps every day because you had to walk up 250 steps. Yeah, from the beach path to the main building was 175 steps. So I I did that, I would say, half a dozen times at least, if not more, every day. Yeah. So really, I was getting in a workout without even knowing it. And my... Like step, not like steps, like walking steps, but like actual stone steps. Yeah. And lots of them. Because the whole thing, the whole thing is built on a hill, like this beautiful 
Uh, oh, it's just so mag. Blue Spirit is really special. Um, and um, so it was just an extension of the cycling experience. We were either going Arribe up or Abajo, Abajo. down. My glutes felt phenomenal. So to break the route. Like, My glutes are better than ever. First right thing now. in the morning, you got to walk up these steps to get up to 125 the 125 <laughs> from our place up to the. It's like right away though. Yeah. It's not like at home where we walk down our steps and go out front onto the road and walk to the beach and there's, there's no like warm-up. no there's no warm up. So yeah, that was that was a typical day. And it and to to just wrap it up with the feeling, I felt at peace. I felt I was awake to the urges that were yeah, swirling were you, were around. Yeah, were challenged at all? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's this idea of like you go on retreat and it's like La La Land, and it is La La Land, but it's also like you remove the distractions of life and you, it's you and you, and you and you amidst 22 other people. And so you get to, you get to see what gets brought up you know, with maybe how another person is navigating the day or the choices that they're making or whatever it is, you get to see what's coming up for you because it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. Whatever you feel is going to tell you like your, your peace is sustained or your peace is disturbed. And if your peace is disturbed, that's your work. And retreat life creates this, uh, I my mental preference is like, I kind of can't stand this word, but container, it truly is this container to say, we are all here and we are all doing the work. So here are the tools and here are your people that are all here kind of for the same thing, but We've got three retreat leaders, which I think is great because maybe somebody feels more connected to Valerie than they do to me. And that doesn't mean anything other than how wonderful it is it, it is to have three different well-established retreat hosts there to support you. And you get to go to whoever feels most comfortable for you. So yeah, I mean, stuff's going to come up. And usually on this retreat... Things start to happen around Tuesday, which is kind of maybe leads me to um, explain why my voice is so <clears throat> scratchy. Um, so we get there on Saturday. It's a Saturday to Saturday retreat, eight days, seven nights. And when you first get there and you're just like, it's a big exhale. This place is vibrant and beautiful. And there's smiles everywhere and there's so much exciting unknown and there's an inherent safety that you have arrived and that you are supported. And like I said, it's just, it's out there that you came here to improve yourself, not because something about you is broken. The improvement is in the mindset of getting to know who you truly are. And so the yamas and the niyamas play really well into that because they help support us in realizing what we are not. You know, we are not violence. We are not lying. We are not stealing. We are not excess. We are not possessive. You know, we are not toxic. We we are not flighty. Like, so you arrive and you're just in awe. 
And this place is stunning. And then you wake up Sunday morning to the howler monkeys, the thing, one of the things you've been waiting for. And then we have practice and we have our opening circle and you're starting to get to know people and you kind of already feel like who you're going to connect with. And you lay by the saltwater infinity pool after going in this bath water temperature ocean, which is so gorgeous, crystal clean water on this beautiful raw beach. And then you're eating incredible food and you know, then we do another practice and you're starting to feel peace and that flows into Monday and you're still like, this is the best, this. And then it's around Tuesday. It's about Monday night when we started to feel it on this retreat where we're like, things are starting to shift, right? Like this relaxation allows the things that we've been holding on to, the I could say the misalignments of peace to rise. And Tuesday morning, I said to the girls, I said, I think shit's about to go down (laughs) because you could start to see people were opening and it's so beautiful. And when I say like shit's about to go down, I mean, healing is happening. People are stepping into who they truly are, which is your effortless self. And that's the goal of this is to really realize that to be who you are takes no effort. And so Megan, Val, and I went for a walk on the beach and we were, I don't know, we were, we were coming back and we, we had talked a little bit about this, like in the days leading this practice of primal screaming. Um, it's something that I learned when I was in massage school in a trauma in the body class and it helps to, you know, release trauma in the body. It can be very provoking and agitating. So you either want support with you or you want the tools and, and the awareness to, to know what you're getting yourself into. And so the three of us were walking back and I just said, hey, ladies, you want to scream? And they were like, yes, let's scream. Um, and so the three of us stood maybe about six feet apart and we just looked at the ocean and we took a few minutes to breathe and feel and flow with her power and um, her peace and and her tumultuous nature and her ever-forgiving tides and her acceptance of all. And then we took a collective breath in, we took a collective breath out, and then we took a big, big breath in, and then we just screamed. And if you've never done this, it can be a little frightening to hear yourself in that primal sense of screaming, like screaming. I mean, it's really, it's not, ah, it's, well, if you've never done it, um, it's hard to do it in the States where we're so close together. Um, but on this beach, we couldn't see anybody to the left, to the right, ahead or behind us. And then we just paused. We weren't talking during this point. And I think we all did about three screams. I did, I did a second scream and I was like, I think I got one more in me. And I screamed to just my guts. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the scream, it went silent. I had screamed the voice completely out of me. And I've been recovering ever since. Um, that day, I my voice was my throat was a little scratchy. It was a little like you know, like I definitely 
move some stuff. And um, in the middle of the night, it was a little sore. And then the soreness went away. I just kind of watched the process. And um, But the voice has been recovering ever since. It's been, well, probably probably 15, 18 years since I've done a scream like that, um, primal screaming. And so it was quite releasing. And I had felt a little something like a, like a if I was to describe it, it was like a corkscrew on the right side of my heart. Um, I don't know what it was, right? Like we, we are always transmuting energy and I think we can get really stuck in like, why, why am I feeling this? What, what is going on? Like, or the thoughts about it, like, Ooh, that triggered me. And, you know, and we're always looking outside of us or we get trapped in trying to figure it out. And when we release the need to know why, and we just follow that intuitive voice that says, ladies, you want to scream right now? Um, we stay in flow. We stay the course a lot easier because we're not identifying so much with the mind about trying to make sense of what it is that we're getting a hit to do or, um, or what we're feeling. You know, it's like when you're present, you feel these things coming up in your body. Um, and I feel like that release for me, I won't speak for Val and Meg, but that release was a wonderful clearing that allowed me to, you know, transmute other energy through the week. Um, and that's what we do a lot of times when we're in a support role. We are taking on energy. We're we're pulling that energy, I, and I can speak as a retreat host, we're kind of pulling that energy from the group and we're transmuting it. And, you know, that's what the, 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 yoga, the yoga masters would do. They would they would transmute the energy. And because there's a clarity that when we feel something that is heavy or sharp or agonizing, that we have an opportunity when we stay awake to transmute that energy back to love. And so um, we did that with those screams. And then we continued to do that all week. Uh, People kept saying to the three of us, you know, how are you doing? You guys are doing a lot. Are you exhausted? Like, are you going to be exhausted when you leave here? Like, what what do you need to do to recover from something like this? And it was so funny because it was happening separate between Val, Meg, and I. People were saying, which is so wonderful and so caring that our guests are, you know, concerned about our well-being. And I think it's a real testament to when you find what you love, you know, you never work so much, but you never work a day in your life. And, and all of it feels so effortless and, uh, and it continues to be a great honor of my life. And we were counting yesterday, BJ and I, that yesterday wrapped up my 13th retreat. And I think our first retreat was in 2018. So I have done, um, six with, uh, the women of Awake Minds. And then I've done seven with you, BJ, through our Carlsbad retreats. And that doesn't even include our camps, which I think are probably more retreats than not. And so it's incredible when you find your dharma in life and your dharma is that thing that knocks on your door all the time. It's the thing that you find that comes easy to you. It's the thing that you are drawn to. Um, and it doesn't have to be your profession, uh, but it's important to find what you love and to do more of it because the world needs you to share your gifts and that's where your gifts are found. Yeah, I don't know how to top that. That's a beautiful uh, description of everything that your life has been and what your life is and and really where you're going with these retreats and experiences for people to provide support 
all three of you. Um, and there'll be more retreats, more opportunities for this growth. Uh, we're just recounting one in Blue Spirit, which just happens to be a blue zone in Nosara, Costa Rica. Um, but they can be anywhere, and you can also do this at home. You can also spend some quiet time and immerse yourself into stillness and silence. So you can focus on that. Once I get to retreat life, then I will have the opportunity to work on my mind and slowing down. But what happens when you leave after retreat life? And I'm glad that Meg had mentioned that on Friday night, you know, the re-immersion into life, uh, whether it's family life, community work, uh, whether you're single and you're just going home to an empty house and need to work through your patterns and, um, and habits. Uh, this is living an awake life, right? It's the reason it's called Awake Minds. Uh, makes business called Awake Minds and you have awake athlete. Uh, it's, it's an awakening. It's a, it's a time to see our patterns, see ourselves, as who we painted ourselves to be, but also like to get un- unearth ourselves. And in those emotional moments you mentioned on retreat, when people start to break down on Tuesday or open up, I should say, that's them becoming them. So they're removing obstacles that are keeping them in suffering and lack um, and who they believe they are. And it's moving them into a place of this is who I am. And I've always been this person. And, it just so happens you create a safe environment, all three of you, to, to take that vulnerability to another level. And I actually think it's easier with strangers to open up because you don't have any beliefs that people know who you were before or knew what your tendencies are now. You can actually just open up and be you and treat it as an opportunity to lay the framework for taking it into your, your life so that you are living your dharma, right? Isn't it your dharma? Like you're living it. You are it. You immerse yourself in it and the struggle and suffering and emotional like distress becomes less and less and you begin speaking more freely and doing what you love or finding what you love and doing more of it so that it becomes your pathway to I guess, freedom, freedom to be you or who you always were. And the retreat meets you where you're at, you know? If you want to come on retreat because you just want to break from your life, but you're not like, you're like, oh, I don't want to do all that touchy-feely cry-cry stuff. Like, I totally get you. (laughs) It used to be me. Um, Come with an open mind to experience more calm in your life and trust the process. Um, because you may be surprised where it takes you, but it, you know, like there was like a little, little wine club at night, like some women were getting together for a glass well, of wine. Well, wine club at noon. <laughs> there, was, there was actually a little bit of a wine club that was happening at noon as well. So, I mean, it's, this retreat's going to meet you where you're at and you're going to be accepted no matter how you show up and you'll be accepted and loved even if you don't show up. And so some people have more breakthroughs than others, but the retreat's going to meet you at your relevant level of readiness. And, um, and you are going to be better for it in the end, not because you're less than now, but because you're going to realize more of who you are during that time. And, um, 
it truly is an accelerator for um, more health and well-being, which I, I, I believe that we all, we all desire. One breakthrough I had a realization from this quickly was, you know, because you said it meets people where they're at. And obviously we've been, we're on this path and we're further along and immersed in it daily in our lives. But the practice of silence and the, and the practice of, of mindful eating allowed me to see the dosage of peanut butter that would go into my oatmeal. And I became aware of that. And slowing down allowed me to really feel the fresh papaya melt in my mouth and the strains of juiciness from the pineapple combined with the bananas, which looked not ripe, but they were just perfectly ripe with a scoop of oatmeal and peanut butter wrapped into that with a little bit of cane sugar and cinnamon, like one full bite like that, one after the other, was so delectable. It, I felt all of it. Um, but that only became only came into my awareness because I slowed down in the way that I ate. So I didn't have my phone. I wasn't updating plans. I wasn't trying to fit it in before I had my next uh, workout or athlete call. It was because I chose to spend this time in silence and stillness, take in nature, uh, take in the nutrients of my food and create a new relationship with it. And if that is the one thing I pull away from, you know, 14, 16 days in Costa Rica, to me, that's enough. Like that is learning something about yourself and pulling it back into life. So now the rubber meets the road when we get home and tomorrow morning we make oatmeal. How do I, how do I begin to practice that in everyday life? We shall see. We shall see. Um, yeah, I think just describing that bite of oatmeal with the papaya, um, that, that bite of breakfast is a miracle. And I think that these retreats wake you up to the miracles that are normal. They're everywhere. They're not once in a lifetime or few and far between. We just got to slow down and see that we, they are all around us and that we are a part of those miracles. So, um, yeah, we've got, uh, we're going to wrap this up. But I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention that we have our OJAS Women's Wellness Retreat, which is open for registration February 17th to the 21st. We timed that with school breaks on the East Coast and West Coast. Hopefully the middle of the country also aligns with that. Um, we've had a lot of people from the school system say, hey, can you please do a retreat when there's a break? Well, here it is. Um, of course, it's not just exclusive to people who are on vacation that week. Uh, so please, uh, it's a small retreat. We take over the entire retreat center. We only have room for 11 more guests. And um, so don't wait. 
and you can find that on awake-minds.com. You can DM me through uh, Yogi Triathlete on Instagram or Jessica Mikowski on Instagram or BJ or any of us through comment on this post for this podcast. But if that is singing on your heart, it is in the States. You don't need a passport. It's in San Diego wine country in Temecula next February, and we would love, love, love to have you join us.